0: Hello, hello. Hello, Bridget Croak.
1: Hello, Dave Ford.
0: And hi, everybody. Welcome to the Environmental Intelligence Podcast. I'm Dave Ford, uh, founder of the OPLN and SALT. And uh, I'm here with Bridget Croak, managing director of Closed Loop Partners.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Really happy to be here. And with the Environmental Imp- Intelligence Podcast and really just our thesis in general, it's really built on the idea of how we can really get everybody significantly smarter about the biggest environmental challenges that are plaguing this earth. And Bridget is an expert on circular economy, knows more about plastics than than, than most human beings uh, on this planet. And I think what we want to do today is really deep dive and, and really sort of pick your brain about you know how what you feel like, you know, leaders and and really the entire industry needs to understand about the circular economy to help accelerate right. progress. So, sort of an open question, but like, yeah. what do you? Maybe to start off, like, what are you working on? What's like sort of the, some of the top projects right now that are uh, the closed loops diving into.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll back up even behind, you know, just to your kind of bigger meta question first before I dig into some of our stuff. And um, well, Close Loop Partners is an investment and innovation firm working to accelerate a more circular economy. So that's kind of our, our whole premise of the work that we're doing. And I guess I would just back up and say that from the perspective of like, what it is, what are the trends? You know, the idea is that we have Uh, packaging and product supply chains that are today primarily leveraging some sort of extractive process to use raw materials out of nature, um, utilize those materials sometimes kind of one time, sometimes multiple times. And then that what was valuable kind of costly material ends up in a landfill and an incinerator or kind of other outcomes where we're no longer using the value of that material anymore. And so that's something that we think is very uh, inefficient from an economic standpoint. So the reality is that if we could use that material at its end end of life as the feedstock for future products and packaging, you could save billions of dollars uh, from ending up in a hole in the ground essentially, or being burned off uh, and be able to kind of reduce the amount of raw materials that are needed, which is problematic from an environmental and often a human health standpoint. So really it's no less than kind of transitioning our material supply chains entirely and to scale up the ability to utilize these materials so we don't have to extract as many um, non-renewable raw materials. So that's kind of the backdrop.
0: Make so them. in the case of plastics, you have fossil fuels, natural gas, mostly, and, and, yep. and oil being yep. used to being pulled out of the earth is cracked into plastic. I think it's a lot of people don't even realize that, which is, which is quite insane. Um, and
1: frankly, it's the fastest part of that industry's growth. So if we look at like, you know, all the renewable energy that's being created, which is super exciting and, and kind of that sh- shifting another major part of the economy to be more sustainable, that whole industry, its fastest growth area, is plastics. So, if we can shift where they're getting that those inputs, that's a massive economic opportunity, environmental opportunity, and we think human health opportunity as well.
0: So that dovetails into like what happens at the. We're talking about waste. We're talking about plastic waste. We can also talking about can talk about aluminum and a bunch yep. of other materials at the end and, of
1: life. Yeah, and and frankly you know plastic is not only you know your water bottle that you use or your butter tub it's also your clothing for many people so it's it's the car that you're in it's your car seat there's so many use cases for that but yes this is also true of metals it's true of fiber which comes from trees and i remember having you know because we talk about plastic so much someone asked me recently she was like remember like back in the day when we used to be worried about trees are we still worried about that and so there are trade-offs to different materials so this is relevant across material types
0: did you tell your friend yes we are still worried about. yes our- we still care <laughs>
1: about that and maybe the media doesn't you know not enough but yes we're st- we still care
0: the media's got a lot to cover when it comes to the environment these days i mean especially when like you know, significant swaths of the earth are on fire at any given time and storms blowing through. And I mean, and yeah, I mean, plastic, you know, plastic waste in the ocean's gotten a tremendous amount of press in the last five years. I wouldn't say it's getting as much press these days as as maybe it should.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's a great question um, and, and a debatable question, I guess, from a philosophical standpoint. Um, it I've seen more impact and dollars put into solving these issues in the last, maybe four years than I've seen in my 20 plus years working in this field because of that drumbeat that happened. And there's kind of a whole uh, interesting case study to be done on like the anatomy of a movement <laughs> and, and the impact that's been made. Long way to go. But also certainly to your point on the you know what needs to be covered, a lot of climate issues that are very relevant and so glad to be, see that that's getting steam too. And I would note that one of the things that I'd really like to see is that the connection be made between The goals of the circular economy and the goal, you know, the goals around um, solutions around climate, because the reason we're trying to build a circular economy is for the environmental kind of externalities that we're trying to solve for, and the primary one being climate
0: change. Totally, and I think there's so much confusion around that narrative. One of the big goals of the UK government, government, they're hosting COP26 this year, is to really bring the oceans narrative and the climate narrative together because they totally overlap. You know, it's interesting, like when we, when we start to talk about the circular economy and you start to talk about, you know, what, what the circular economy, you know, ideally is a solve for the ocean plastic issue. Right. It's the idea of just keeping everything in, the exactly right. in a closed loop so that it doesn't end up in the environment. Uh, but the, you know the amount of education that's needed, and I think that's where we come in at the OPLN. Certainly, that's the thought leadership work that you guys yeah. do at Close Loop. just this is a confusing mess. It's so complex. Like, where do we even begin? Like, if you yeah. had, you know, I, you have a fifth grader, right? I, I have, have a, a seventh
1: grader. grader. Don't tell him I said that.
0: Don't tell him I said that. Well, if commit, you were, if you were, to, if you were to sit down in front of his class, you know, yeah. and what would you? How would you describe? Um, like in the simplest terms, you know, the, the the plastics challenge today.
1: Yeah. I would say that we have a lot of, you know, that there, in fact it's really relevant because my son is learning about the carbon cycle right now. So he literally had to explain to me the carbon cycle and how that, you know, is related to different greenhouse gases. And so as we were talking about that, you know, they, in the seventh grade level, they're learning about fossil fuels, which is interesting. So those fossil fuels, are being turned into something that has a great utility. And there's a lot of value in that. It takes him all, you know, one of his priorities in life is having money to spend on his gaming. So so the idea of like accruing value and being able to kind of use that on something to be able to trade that value for something else, I think is a really important concept for kids. And so I think what we're doing right now is we're just, throwing money in the garbage and we're throwing resources in the garbage. And that's a huge inefficiency that also is making our oceans and frankly, our land more kind of less useful to our recreation, to animals that these you know kids all love. So there's kind of very tangible outputs that like you go to the beach, it's not what you want it to look like. You can't have as much fun there. And so that's what we need to solve for. And so we just need to have more efficiency when we're creating products and packaging. And it's all about like we often talk about the waste challenge, but I think really it's about the production side that we need to start thinking about from the get-go. How do we reduce extraction of non-renewable materials? And so what's the replacement for that? And that's, you know, I think a lot of recycled content. I think it's some biomaterials. Um, and, and to your point around like these narratives being confusing, you know, humans are storytellers, they we we accept stories we don't, we're not great at translating data and understanding that. So we do have to get our stories right. And I, and I think climate change, frankly, is, has been a, even a harder one. I think the reason why this has gotten so much resonance is because there is something very tangible about the ocean, about these animals and, and kind of the products that are in our hands.
0: Bridget and I uh, were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on the Ocean Plastic Leadership Summit a few years ago, snorkeling. 500 miles off the coast of Bermuda. And one of the big CPGs that was with us, the consumer packaged goods companies, found one of its toothbrushes floating in the middle of the Atlantic Gyre. And like, she took it back home and showed everybody. Like, that's that's, that's where plastics is different than climate. You can't really, you can talk about the big storm or yeah. a, a wildfire, but the, the correlation is not so, just crystal clear right
1: it's so direct it's such a direct connection and I think that can actually help open up the storytelling around climate and make it simpler so I you know not everything has to be brought up to kind of a big meta level like that like we can help solve for climate change without ever talking about climate change you know so and I think the uh, if you take out energy and transport material movement and, and material uh, like all the materials that we use and consume in our lives like that's one of the next major kind of categories of, um, of impact. And so, and, and it's an area that we have a lot of energy around and we can solve too. So so you asked like what we're doing these days <laughs> about 10, 12 minutes ago, which I um, didn't totally answer. Um, but so maybe I'll, I'll just kind of say that our approach to um, solving for this is investing at every point of the uh product and packaging supply chain from material science to how products and packaging are um, used, uh, looking at kind of interesting reusable models that that design the system so that it's easier and and cheaper and more convenient for consumers to extend the shelf life of products to reuse. That's both with kind of, um, you know, everyday products, personal care products, cleaning products, also with textiles, resale, is the fastest growing part of the um, textile uh, and fashion industry right now. So like huge opportunity to gain more value from all of um, by extending shelf life and and reusing things and then looking at, okay, what happens once the useful life is done? And can we really extract the value of that by making that the feedstock for future products and packaging?
0: I think fashion and fast fashion specifically has gotten such a free pass in this entire sort of plastics debate and ocean plastics and microplastics and microfibers and again it's the same sort of thing you can see the bottle floating down the river right so obviously there's a tremendous amount of pressure that's being put on the big beverage companies uh you can't see the microfibers that are that are in that same river that are coming off of our clothing and it's Real I think that that's another thing. I don't I don't know if there's been any sort of widespread polling around, you know, asking people, consumers, you know, yes or no, is your is your you know, is your it's what you're wearing made of plastic? Like yeah. I, I just don't think there's this like widespread.
1: No, I think I, I think it's something that I think it's coming. I think the reckoning is coming in that industry. And and frankly, like the fashion industry has had had a challenging year or two with, with COVID, but it's also driven some innovation. And I think some of the brands that are are doing, seeing the fastest growth are um, brands that are kind of integrating kind of different business models. And so we're seeing ton of innovation in that space. We're not quite seeing the big brands come to the table yet on the solutions. And I think the pressure has just not been there. And so, you know, eager to see, that industry get to the point where consumer, you know, CPG companies and kind of more broad scale retail is in terms of, uh, for license to operate, they need to solve some of these challenges. And I think probably the fashion industry is next in line. I hope electronics is is close behind that. So I think an important concept is that this is about all materials. Plastics has gotten a lot of attention, but there's a lot of industries that, um, that fit, into this, you know, anything that is a material kind of fits within the circular or non-circular economy. So this is the built environment, it's textiles, it's electronics, it's supply chain logistics, it's food and organics, and um, it's plastics and packaging.
0: You know, if you look at, yeah, you just talking about electronics too. You like see some of these places where all of our old phones and keyboards and computers are shipped in Ghana or India yeah. or China. And it's, it's it's jarring, especially when you see in some of these places you see kids burning the burning the electronics to get the valuable metals out, you know, burning the plastic off to get the metals from inside. I mean it's it's crazy. Yeah.
1: No, it is crazy. And I, I do think like what's happened in the last few years related to plastics and in the oceans shows that when you can win hearts of consumers around this stuff and you know, that impacts regulators, that impacts brands, like that they impact everything. So you know, when it comes down to like what people can do and and certainly what the media can do is like telling these stories creates the mindshare uh, in a kind of a world where we have massive attention deficits, um, uh, you know, related to this, it's all like an attention based economy right now. So if we can drive attention towards these issues and it resonates with people, um, then then regulation happens brands change their products and packaging because they are beholden to the consumers that are buying their products um and so that is really powerful it feels daunting but we've proven i think in this space that we can really show that society wants the space to move in a significant way
0: you know i think one of the other things that's at a macro global level it's happening certainly you have consumer pressure which is so far I think have been like one of the biggest drivers of of, you know, essentially corporations, you know, rewriting their playbooks about how they yeah. deal with this. Where yeah. I think we're gonna get to the next level and what we're seeing at an international legal level is like ecocide laws where companies can be held responsible in like international courts of law in the same way that they like the like international war crimes would be treated. Yeah. Like that's coming. That's not quite here yet. First rights of nature, where a river on behalf, of like an indigenous group on a behalf of a river, can sue a corporation, right? I mean, it becomes like existential risk management in an entirely different type of way, which should further, which I mean, if like on a on a hopeful sort of yeah, matrix on an optimistic. I'm wearing my optimistic, <laughs> which I'm, which this these letters are probably there's probably plastic in there, like. like everybody but
1: you you school. look very very believable. Okay. <laughs>
0: but it's yeah. it's uh i mean it's it, that is the next lever and risk management yeah. is 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 a key driver especially when you get to like the cfo's seat right like
1: definitely and i'd say another industry that's quite behind is the industry that we're in which is the finance industry which certainly makes the world go round in terms of consumer products and and such um and so so the big banks and, and big um finance is, starting to pay attention to these issues but you know our goal of um coming into fruition 7 years ago as an investor is to prove the business models around circular economy so um no, there's a reason we're not a nonprofit we're a for profit to because we want to be taken you know we wanted this industry to be taken seriously as a business opportunity and i think that we, when we started we had some corporate investors that were really focused on um kind of pulling capital to solve for infrastructure challenges that were outside of what they can control on their own. Um, in the last seven years, we, I'd say we have a significant um, number of investors, well more than we have corporate, on the kind of institutional family office side. Um, but that whole space of, of banks is still early on. And what's really interesting is recently, to, your point, you know, to all your points about these big things that are happening globally... Um, the sec in the U S has just, um, kind of come down really hard around the rules of impact investing and what impact actually looks like. And so making sure that you can't just say like, I'm a circular economy fund. And we just like fund big businesses that may do like a little bit of circular economy stuff, kind of, or have some goal that they may or may not ever achieve. And so with, I expected to get, um, the rules and the regulators, you know, to be coming out of a lot of different angles, not just. Um, through EPR, but through all these other tools that you and I are talking about.
0: You know, just thinking about thinking all this through and like going back to seventh graders, you know, and how we get seventh graders smarter, which is mission critical. And what seventh graders are learning today, I tell you, I wasn't learning about carbon cycles in seventh grade. And I'm <laughs> oh, guessing you weren't either. No, It's significant. But part of the challenge is we don't have time for the seventh graders to grow up and, and, and take the wheel here. So who... And how do we educate the people that are driving right now? Certainly, yeah. leaders, different industries, and you know, thinking about leverage. I think you just nailed it. Who has all the leverage? The financial community, right? If you're, if you're, if you are going to get a CEO of a Fortune 500 to to snap to attention. It's the banks that are government or the banks, right and the government can get a little it can get a little tricky when you start talking about policy because yeah. you're coming in from all different angles right
1: yeah, and I think that you know we need short term and we need long term solutions first of all, I think we're really just speaking of children and seventh graders um we were talking about I was talking with folks in my company and we were kind of thinking about like how do you make sure we're holding the leaders in companies uh, and, and banks and others accountable to achieving their goals, and a lot of them have like 2030, 2050 goals and we're like the person who's going to be held accountable right now is a 7th grader <laughs> to achieving those goals. Like literally my son will be the age, you know, of a CEO when those goals have to be hit. And so we're basically asking today's 7th graders to be accountable. And so we need to create um, much more much uh accountability along the way towards these like like we need the long-term goals and we need proxies and indicators that we're actually achieving those goals. And I think, you know, many companies started with 2025 goals, 2025 is tomorrow. I <laughs> know that's coming really soon. And everyone's kind of like pushing back to 2030. And so I do think that these influencers um, and it's all about sphere of influence uh, for any kind of important decision maker, but, and there's many of them. The big banks are very a very big one, but certainly not the only one. Um, but but we need to kind of have the pressure to uh, achieve these goals sooner. Like shareholders would never be comfortable saying, "Don't worry, we'll make a profit in 2050." We need <laughs> we need this to happen much sooner. Like show us how we're getting there.
0: So yeah, dead on dead on the money. Um, it's interesting to think about the seventh graders. Eventually captaining the ship based on these goals. That's really kind of fascinating in my mind. <laughs> I have a five year old. So like, yeah. It's
1: a lot la- it's a lack of accountability today to say, like, you know, my somebody's maybe grandchild will have to be accountable to these goals.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, they weren't thinking about that in nineteen you know, in nineteen fifty. I don't <laughs> exactly. think when they didn't they didn't have any idea what was what was Yeah,
1: we on can't predict what's coming down the pike, exactly. So
0: what are you working on at Closed Loop Partners? That these financial institutions, captains of industry, like, what, like, what are the, what do you feel like the key pieces of work that you guys are doing that can 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 help accelerate? You know, the the environmental intelligence of 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 leaders today.
1: Yeah. So a couple things. Um, we're investing through kind of early stage capital. Um, we're closing our second venture fund. Our first venture fund was around. 15 million, this one's gonna be closer to, you know, somewhere between, somewhere 50 plus. So more than double, more than triple, the size of our first one. So great to see kind of the the growth in capital coming into innovation in the circular economy. But I think the innovation space is super hot and these companies setting the market signals um, such that there's, um, that the innovation is coming into this space. Like we want, all of these big kind of mega trend innovations, whether it's AI, blockchain, material science, we need it to be directed towards the circular economy. And frankly, I think that given that the circular economy is about entirely, you know, all of these materials across multiple sectors and supply chains, it's a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. So it could be the biggest investment opportunity of our lifetime. And um, so, so that's one thing then thinking about, okay, what infrastructure is in place to manage this? Um, so we're not only investing in the infrastructure of today and making it better, but we're saying how do we actually need to change the supply chain and, and what needs to be connected what dots need to be connected whether it's some vertical integration or um, or kind of multiple material solutions um, in a municipality you know covering all of the materials that are cost to a city to, to throw away but could be of value right now you know, we really focus on packaging, but can we include electronics, textiles, organics? The economics should work long term, given the amount of value in that material. So, so investing in kind of creating comprehensive um, solutions for municipalities and infrastructure around that. And then, I guess the third thing is: Can I stop? Can yeah, I stop you? you just, we'll come
0: back to third. So it's examples of infrastructure. So material recycling facilities. I know you guys yeah. have made some strategic yeah. investment there. Anything else? Any other stuff? Yeah, stories? so, so <laughs> we
1: have invested in um in a company called Atlas Organics, which is the fastest, you know, one of the fastest growing um, composting companies in the southern United States. And and That weirdly came through our venture fund, which you wouldn't think of, it feels more like an infrastructure play, but actually where their their business model and how they grow and how they have contracts and how they finance their facilities is gave us the confidence and a kind of a venture approach to their growth. Um, So the fact that they're planning to grow that fast is huge. I would also say on the organic side, we invested in a company called Home Biogas, um, which is residential scale household anaerobic digestion that turns food waste into energy and in many countries where folks are both kind of mostly food is the majority of their waste and they're energy deficient. Um, it's a solution on both sides and it's like super affordable, but we're uh, the company's also kind of eyeing Western markets and actually their e-commerce, the US is their fastest growing e-commerce business, but they're looking at kind of long-term like what would the experience be like for someone in the US to potentially just put their um, food waste down their garbage disposal, have that plug right into a home biogas unit that's in your boiler room, and then kind of let that feed your, heat your water in your household. Like, And they're so, just
0: like little, they look like little composting machines? Yeah,
1: they're like little, yeah, they're kind of like, a, they look like a balloon. <laughs> that's like the size of a couple grills maybe right now, but they're gonna continue to kind of shrink in size to, to fit into different um, kind of inside units so they can also be kind of more used in the North. But so I think a trend so that brings up a trend that I would say around um, kind of less centralization of everything, like the idea of sending around big, expensive trucks to pick up food waste when that can be happening in in a much more decentralized way. Like in some markets, that still makes might make sense today. But long term, we believe there's a um that both manufacturing and management of materials will be much more distributed and much less centralized, which goes along with a lot of other trends in the world towards decentralization. So so which is really exciting, because then you can start to localize manufacturing, which means that you can utilize um, materials that go through a recycling facility, um, which is a local thing. Like, you don't want to re-aggregate that and send that across the country. But if you can kind of collect those materials and then remanufacture that at a local level, and then kind of distribute that regionally. Like we we believe that there is going to be a significant increase in that um, kind of localization.
0: That's super cool. And obviously that's going to help with the carbon trade-off, right? I mean, because, because it sure not is. many trucks driving around.
1: It sure is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think these two are really tied together and, and, and I don't think we're the only ones thinking about this. Like if you, if you talk to a lot of kind of tech investors or big, retailers, you know, we're hearing this this kind of trend from lots of folks. And I think it's really relevant given some of the supply chain risks that folks faced in the early parts of the COVID lockdowns. And so that much like everything else, COVID has accelerated um, some of these trends.
0: That's so cool. I cut you off. Remember you were going to number three. Do you remember oh doing?
1: yeah. So the third one, <laughs> um so through our Center for Circular Economy, which is really our innovation arm, um, we bring industry together to solve kind of more particular challenges. And I think the big thing that we're seeing is just competitors who may be fierce competitors on the consumer side, are, and I think you're experiencing this too in, in your work, are, are coming together because they know that they can't solve these issues by themselves. And so we're working you know, through our next-gen um, program to solve for food packaging and cups with Starbucks and McDonald's and Yum! Brands and Nestle and, and others. And then... We brought together many retailers to solve kind of for their big exposure issue, their their big challenge that they have, that they have ownership of is their single use bags. And so we brought together Walmart, um, Target, CVS, who kind of accelerated maybe 10 to 12 other retailers joining where we're doing kind of an end to end looking for innovation to kind of solve for these challenging specific problems within an industry um helping work within their supply chains to scale up these solutions so that they can get to a commercial level that these companies need in order to use them because oftentimes there's like cool innovation we're going to give them you know a thousand dollars and then like leave them to their leave them be And, and these guys really need some hand holding um to understand how to get through these uh these corporate supply chains and actually work with the big guys and then making sure that the recovery system will accept anything on the other end. And what's interesting with retail is like when you look at kind of the plastic bag as one very specific example, you know, it's the the argument, the silly argument that I would say is like paper versus plastic. Like the reality is there's no one for one solution. There's trade offs for everything. So we need to think about like, what is the future of retail and how can we solve for that? So if a big part of that is home delivery and e-commerce, if we're looking at last mile providers who are kind of home delivering things, you could easily have kind of reusable totes and then have a reverse logistics program that takes all that back. So really exciting solutions. If we're looking at kind of where, um, how consumption is going to exist three or five years from now kind of so, and and recycling has historically been kind of like lagging behind the packaging industry. And so what we want to do kind of, reinvent kind of within the circular economy framing is how can we get ahead of trends as opposed to like following on to where all the product and packaging folks are going
0: reusable and reuse and refill is like the holy grail, right? I mean, and you're not going to, there's all these like landmine solutions yeah. that, you know, where that you can, there's there's fierce, ferocious battles happening everywhere, yeah. po- whether it be policy or whether it be like advanced recycling and some of these, ba- you know, recycling technologies, but like, you're not going to find much argument around reuse or refill. Yeah. It's just about how we can accelerate a complete sort of change the way people live right? yeah I mean, it's hard enough to get people to like take their stuff to the recycle you recycle it curbside right you let alone take it to a recycling center like i mean and by the way a little s- plug for the reuses i was say-
1: just gonna do that <laughs> yeah it's, um- uh the september 30th at 7 p.m the east coast time if you go to the the you can get tickets for the first re, reuse award show where we're going to see kind of best-in-class solutions in the space because not all solutions are created equal and there are some really amazing ones, some really well-capitalized ones that we think are going to scale quite a bit. And so I definitely, it's, it's super affordable and going to be really fun and lots of good conversation and, and some interesting guests. So come to that. Anyway, continue. I'm done.
0: <laughs> the the re- Oh, well, I, was re- just, I, I mean, re- reusables yeah. are, I mean, it's interesting. And for those that aren't familiar, it's just this idea of having a Haagen-Dazs ice cream in a metal container that you buy once and then either send or return so that it can be filled with more ice cream right as opposed to just having this re- like that that in its sense is like like how it how it works. Uh, one of the one of the examples of how it works on the sort of consumer package good side of things. Uh, closed loops an investor in Algramo. I'll let you talk about what sure. they do. They badass. Yeah. They're so
1: Algramo is so cool. We love them. Um, they are a. It's essentially like a packaging vending service with um smart reusable packaging where you actually pay with your packaging. It's like smart IoT packaging um that's tied to your phone and essentially a wallet. So you go in you to this vending machine you, with your packaging, you say how much you want. Um, so like, if you can only afford to buy a little bit, Um, In areas that may have you know if you have cash flow challenges you can buy as little or much as you want You can fill a large container up or you can just fill it up a little bit and get kind of a day's worth of that product They're working primarily with cleaning products and and personal care products and pet food today But certainly aim to expand and the reality is packaging is a cost center. It's for for big companies So if they don't have to pay for single-use packaging as part of the product, they want to sell you product not packaging so if you are using the same packaging, it should be more cost-effective, and that's the Algramo kind of model. Is like you bring your own packaging, you refill it, and you save somewhere between twenty to forty percent on the on the products that you're buying. So, so it's a real consumer benefit, and so they've been able to they've really taken off where they launched in Chile, and we're um, we're an investor, and we brought in some other investors um, from Mexico and elsewhere now that are helping them expand into these different markets. They're in uh, New York City with us. There's going to be a big announcement this fall with a a major retailer in the U.S., so so stand by on that excitement also in Mexico and moving into Europe and Asia. But it's just one example of a best-in-class solution that's creating a better, more convenient, more affordable experience for the consumer. And so I think what we need to remember with all of these things is that you know, think about the consumer. Marketers are thinking about the consumer all the time. And so how can we design the system where these new models work for the consumer? Because you can't just get pissed off at a bad system. You have to come up with a better one or the incumbent system's always going to stay in place. And so, you know, the reuses is important because we need to find the best in class ones. And some aren't tenable for consumers today. And so so that creates the market signal that there's really good um, kind of best in class solutions out today. And that drives other innovators and companies to the table, both to test these and to come up with even better solutions and more investors to come into this space. And so this change can happen. And, and, you know, we hear sometimes from big consumer product companies, some are really excited about it and they're going all in on reuse as like where they want to get to in 2030. Others are very, You know bearish or sheepish on on this space feeling like it's a long way to go but if you look at the world we lived in 30 years ago all of our behaviors were different work you know it's a completely different universe so to think that we can't get there i think is naive and we just need to come up with the mix of solutions that create a better experience
0: it's interesting you mentioned marketing because on some level you know, certainly, like I think when we talk about the CFO seat or the financial sector, like risk management is a core driver. But when we get into the consumer side of things, marketing is everything and cool factor to some degree. And like certainly like yeah. social pressure and different things, I mean, and different along sort of different socioeconomic status levels and all over. You know, obviously things are very different all over the all over the earth as well. Yeah. But, you know. It, it, I, that's why I applaud what you guys and Upstream are doing with the reusies because it's just it's just showing people cool shit. Exactly. And like, <laughs> how, can we, how can we get more people excited? How how can we get reuse and refill, you know, on the front page of of you know the of the New York Times? You know, that's exactly
1: know. right. It's showing people cool shit and, and letting them have a good time. Like this stuff needs to be fun and interesting mm-hmm. and sexy for the consumer. It needs to be the thing that's super obvious to them. Uh, They need to want the new system in order to exit the old Mm -hmm. system. It's the only way. And we need marketers to, uh, you know, be smart when they're thinking about this side. It's a huge opportunity for marketers that are on the front end of this. Like once everybody's doing it, then you're just kind of another one doing it. But for market, for the companies, the companies that are leaders today are not going to be the companies that are leaders 20 years from now unless they're really kind of forward thinking. And I mean, we've seen this, like, if you look back 20 or 30 years at the, you know, the biggest companies in the world 30 years from now, most of them, some of them don't even exist. (laughs) Some of them have been broken up and many of them don't exist or or, or aren't on that list anymore. The ones that are, are the ones that have rebuilt themselves into a different kind of company, different markets. Um, Many of the consumer product companies are buying up these kind of smaller, kind of eco-friendly, natural, however we want to want to define that brand category, because you know that space is fragmenting too. And they know that they need to keep on the cutting edge of that. And it's the same thing and how consumers buy. And so the marketers thinking about that and getting out front of it and being leaders, like they're the ones that are going to be, you know, out front 20 or 30 years from now.
0: Well and like let's talk about reuse and refill because I think there's two, the two leading global models right now are loop which mm-hmm. run by like Terracycle, uh, yep. Tom Zaki and Co. and Algrama, which is uh, which is really designed for two very very different markets, right? Like yeah. Loop, like that, the, you know that's where I got the Hagendas the example, right? Like of really beautiful, beautiful packaging. Yeah. And I mean they have all kinds of different packagings for all kinds of different product levels. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's designed at I would say a more sort of higher um, like middle class and up Mm-hmm. would you describe uh social yeah, kind of urban
1: <laughs> audience yes absolutely. environmentally
0: conscious audience mm-hmm. um, you know for like the, the, the do gooder sort of audience you know it's definitely more work than just throwing your stuff away or even to some degree putting it in your recycling bin but then you have Algramo, which is designed, you know, really more efficiently for for lower, like the the, the pilots you have in New York are like in Queens and different sort of yeah. different sort of lower economic status, right? Like that's right, that's right. That's, like the, that's the that's primary the
1: incoming market, exactly.
0: Right, it's like people. You don't you can you can buy a single use shot of laundry detergent, you know, as a part of one of these Algramo machines, and it's going to save you money significantly. And there's yeah. no packaging, and and it's it's like a win win.
1: And then that's what we found is the entry point for consumers is that like oh this reuse thing like that's kind of interesting some people are already like you know dishing out small amounts of laundry detergent and putting them in like old plastic bottles and stuff like that to make it more convenient to bring them to their laundromat in urban areas so we're seeing some trends that we can jump on that elgramo can jump on um but the cost effective piece is kind of the entry point and then they get interested in everything else. And, and other people are going to have different entry points. So like with the loop model, I think it's very much the identity entry point of like, I identify as someone who does this kind of thing and I'm going to show my friends this and this, you know, I have beautiful kind of fancy packaging that's out on my, you know, sitting out. Um, and But I think there's a couple of other models that are starting to is that some of the big companies are just doing it themselves, especially with some refills that can go into, you know, they'll, it's not no, Packaging in terms of single use, but creating a much kind of like a refill version that you can refill, kind of a nicer package that sits out at home. Um, an example of that, both Unilever and Procter and Gamble have launched um, refillable deodorant canisters this year. I've I've tried them both; they're they're pretty interesting. Um, and and there's been there were some kind of smaller challenger brands that kicked that off before these guys did that themselves, and so they're they're creating that. I also think things like. Um, no packaging and reformulating products so that it can go into packaging that doesn't have to be as complex and unrecyclable. We're seeing trends towards that too. So Grove Collaborative, I think, is a really interesting, fast-growing company. It sells multiple products, but also their own. So they're doing bar shampoos and soaps and stuff. Stuff, but they're also doing a lot of kind of refill stuff that they have full ownership of because they're an e-com kind of company primarily today. Um, and we're selling, seeing some of the bigger companies, I think Procter & Gamble's, you know, started to go down this path, you can where I already mentioned those two, but they're both putting stuff out in the market. And I think we'll see more and more companies going to market themselves and using that. And then the one last example I want to give, um, just to be long-winded, <laughs> is, is um, in the food um, QSR kind of food packaging space. I think reusable cups, reusable foodware, is a fast-growing category and something that I think consumers are starting to really resonate with. Partially because it's like a better experience to have like a nice dish and a nice cup to drink your coffee out of. Um, but there's companies like um, you know some pretty interesting companies, r Cup, Turn. Um, many others like we we've worked with several um there you can like look in them on the reuse site actually and see what many of them are um that create systems that make it easy for the consumer to get their coffee cup whether it's or, or beverage cup at an event and or at a retailer and drop it off and it gets sanitized and brought back into the system for you so you don't have to remember your own cup. And, and same with bags. We, we're we working with Walmart and Target and CVS on a um, Beyond the Bag, which is a program to find innovation to um, reduce the need for single-use bags, both at brick and mortar, but also um, with home delivery and others. And there's some really great solutions out there.
0: There's a lot of exciting things going on. And I mean, it's interesting, like this carrot and stick, right? It's got to be mm-hmm. shiny, and sexy, and efficient. And there's got to be s- sort of social pressure dynamics on the consumer side and the stick side. like. You need to fix this because it's an existential risk management crisis and it's going to negatively affect your business if you don't and it's better to be you know just like you said it's better to be out in front uh of it i i we could keep going bridget this is
1: we could uh, our <laughs> rambling
0: yeah, no. um
1: <laughs> discourse your,
0: your work is, is is always extremely exciting and so um uh, so grateful to, to, to partner with you on so many exciting things. I'm
1: happy to be here anytime and so can't wait to keep working together.
0: So much, so much coming up in this next coming year. But um, everyone just want to say thank you to Bridget Croak, Managing Director of Closed Partners. And I want to say thank you for checking in for the Environmental Intelligence podcast. And we're we're rocking every two yeah, weeks yeah. here and just digging into how to get everyone smarter rapidly about the environment. Thanks mm-hmm. so much.